Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here with my cubicle mate and dear friend, Melissa Kuypers. Say hi. Hi, Sam. What is your title? Uh, Operations Coordinator, NPR West. So you coordinate connections and interviews and all kinds of stuff throughout the public radio network, which means that you have a very intricate understanding of what this network represents. And I brought you in here because you describe the network in a very special way. Tell us. You know what's special? Seven-layer dip. Yes. And that's what we are. The public radio radio network is seven-layer dip. That's right. Let me explain. Uh So if we think of our listeners as the chip, they're going to consume this seven-layer dip. So you got your first layer. That's beans. That's Mm -hmm. like our flagship shows. Yeah. Could you just dip your chip into beans? You could. It wouldn't be that satisfying. So then we got our sour cream. That's like our desks and our reporters. Mm-hmm. Then we have lettuce. That's newscast. Uh, your vegetables. Let's see what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, then you have the cheese. That's our member stations. Uh, they they kind of make it for everything. They bring it all together. Mm-hmm. Then you got your guacamole podcast. Yeah. Then you got your tomatoes and your olives. That's freelancers, contributors, sort of everybody else that makes us great. So the thing about good seven-layer dip is it's not free and it doesn't pay for itself. No, it does not. So listener, I'm asking you to be a good chip. Go to donate.npr.org slash Sam and support this seven-layer dip that is public radio. Pay for that cheese. Support those local stations at donate.npr.org slash Sam. Melissa. Donate.npr.org slash Sam to be a good chip who supports the cheese through the guacamole. Yes. Yes. Love it. All right. Thank you. Wait, where is it? It, it was like an inside, there's like a storefront on our left. You see, I don't see like, it. Come over here, show me. A few weekends ago, on a chilly, rainy December Saturday in Southern California, where is it? I went to the Santa Monica Promenade to find oh the Friends pop-up. Yes, a I pop-up for the 90s sitcom Friends. I brought along a friend of mine who would totally fit in this kind of space. Hey, I'm Matt Brennan, the television editor of the LA Times. The Friends pop-up Matt and I were going to see was just one of several. There was one in Boston, one in New York, one in Las Vegas, all pegged to the 25th anniversary of the premiere of Friends. Right here. (gasps) Where? See on the left where it says Friends 25? Look at that. We made it. There was a line out the door. Online tickets for this thing were snatched up in just a few hours. It was a big deal. Inside, just about everything, all the Friends swag, it was made of Legos. Describe what you see here, Matt. So there is a large orange couch from Central Park uh, but it's made, made out of Legos. Legos. The table that they all used to sit around is made out of Legos. I want to sit on it, on the couch. You can. I can, okay. You absolutely can. Is it comfortable? Absolutely not. About as comfortable as a Lego couch can be. Photos of the friends made of Legos. Central Perk logo and menu made of Legos. The iconic purple door with the dumb, empty picture frame hanging off of it. Real door. No Legos. And there were people all over this stuff getting their pictures taken. One, two, three. Matt Brennan, the TV critic, he says part of what explains this friends Legos pop-up why everyone is still watching this show, it's because old shows like Friends, they give us something new shows maybe can't. You can feel like, oh, everyone will get this when I talk about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you talk about a brand new show that no one's watching yet, it can feel kind of lonely. And one of the great things about watching TV is that even though you do it in your home, 
it is kind of a communal experience. Speaking of communal experiences, there was also a karaoke booth at the pop-up where you could sing character Phoebe's classic song from the show, Smelly Cat. Come on, get on this mic. Come on, Matt. I'm ready. Smelly cat, smell. It's not, it's not the right key for me. <laughs> smelly cat, smelly cat. It's not your fault. That's all I'm going to do. In 2018, Netflix says, by pure minutes watched, Friends was the second most popular show on all of Netflix. This year, CNN actually hosted a special documentary for Friends. So few television shows have made that transition of being part of pop culture. There's even rumors of a Friends reunion special. It seems none of us right now can get enough of this very old show. This episode, we ask, why? I am Sam Sanders. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's call this episode the one where we talk about friends. We will try to figure out why a 25-year-old sitcom is one of the biggest pop culture stories of 2019. We'll chat with a TV reporter who explains what friends' popularity says about what we really want to watch and what's next for the streaming TV wars. Later, we'll hear from a critic who says, actually, the show maybe isn't even that good. And we'll hear from a lot of you as well. Our inbox has been filled with listeners sharing their thoughts about the show. Like, really? Ross and Rachel? Again? Stay with us, folks. This will be a good one, I promise. Could you be more excited? (laughs) See what I did there. See what I did there. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Did you know that Discover matches all the cash back you earn at the end of your first year? Plus, it's automatic, and there's no limit to how much you can earn or how much they'll match. Millions of people a year are getting their cash back matched like rain falling from the sky. Cash back match only from Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash match. When it's too cold to go out or too icy to make it out of the driveway, where do you go to find just the right movie, just the right book, just the right show to binge? Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR can help you keep warm and keep up at the same time. Join us twice a week on Pop Culture Happy Hour. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute. We're calling this episode the one where we talk about friends. I suppose this is the part where I give you a little synopsis of the show Friends, I know most, maybe all of you have already watched it, but for those who have not, a recap quickly. Friends launched in the fall of 1994 on NBC. The show ran 10 seasons, and at its peak, it was pulling in like 40 or 50 million viewers per episode. The plot was pretty straightforward. Six youngish friends in New York figuring out life, figuring out love, sometimes with each other, hanging out in their local coffee shop all the time. These six characters have become, well... Iconic. Paleontologist Ross, who was, in my opinion, kind of mean. Here we go. Pivot. Pivot. His sister Monica, a neurotic clean freak who may have had an anxiety disorder. You call eight hours alone with my label maker wasted time? (laughs) Now I'll get to use my shredder. 
Rachel, the spoiled rich girl, turned friend with the heart of gold. Do you know why I am a terrible waitress? Because I don't care. I don't care which pot is regular and which pot is decaf. I don't care where the tray spot is. I just don't care. This is not what I want to do. Phoebe, so strange, yet so funny and so genuinely good. Well, I'm no longer Phoebe Buffay. Meet Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Chandler, the sarcastic, pessimistic, yet charming ladies' man. Oh, little candy hearts. Chan and Jan forever. And Joey. Joey doesn't share food! Yeah, Joey. Full disclosure, I did not watch Friends as a kid. I watched Living Single, the superior 90s sitcom about 20-somethings making it in the city. But a funny thing happened this year. Netflix, on my home screen, all of a sudden kept suggesting I watch Friends, nudging me to watch Friends. So I did. And once I did, I began to realize that a lot of people are streaming Friends right now just like me. The show has become one of the biggest hits in streaming TV history, even though it was made pre-streaming. I wanted to wrap my head around all of this, so I called someone who could help. My name is Meredith Blake, and I'm a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times. And what's your beat? I write about TV. I asked Meredith why a company like Netflix is trying so hard to get folks like me to binge this old show and why this old show is so big on this relatively new platform. One thing is I think it proves the value, especially in an era where things are so cluttered and there's so much to choose from, of just a known brand, right? There's been a lot of talk in TV about reboots and revivals and, you know, everybody's trying to go back to the well and and redo shows from the kind of 80s and 90s that everybody loved. They're often not very successful, but Friends is is a show that is still hugely popular and you can see why um, people pay so much for it because everybody knows Friends, right? If you've got a new show on Netflix and it's some quirky comedy with some unknown person in it, that's a lot harder to sell than, than a show everyone recognizes instantly. You know, it's it's the value of a franchise, basically. Um, the other thing is just there's a lot of focus on kind of original new shows, but Friends, the, the cost of Friends shows the value of these library titles. You know, there's 250-something episodes, I think, of Friends. That's a lot of TV hours, right? Especially if you're looking at um, typically a, a season on it for a show on Netflix these days is, you know, 8, 10, 12 episodes. It's not... 10 seasons of 22 episodes each, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore. And you need content to fill these networks, right? Yeah. What does the story of Friends and where it ends up say about the future of streaming? So we know that Friends will be leaving Netflix in a little bit of time because it's going to a new streaming platform. What is what is the exact name of that one? It's it's a Warner one? Yes, it's called HBO Max, which is confusing. Um, so confusing. Explain that for me, please. Um, so, so, so Warner Media is launching a streaming service next year called HBO Max, which will include, you know, a gazillion original shows from HBO. And in, in addition to that, it will have um, shows from the Warner Brothers Studio Library, including Friends. It'll have a bunch of old Warner Brothers movies. Um, and it huh. will have original shows created for HBO Max. Yeah. So Netflix had it for several years, had Friends for several years. And then late in 2018, they renewed it for one more year. 
much to the relief of many Netflix subscribers for something like $100 million. So that's one year of friends. Netflix paid, just pause right there. Netflix paid $100 million just to have the right to nudge people like me to binge friends on Netflix. That's right, $100 million. So, you know, if you do the math, obviously... You know, it's it's a very valuable property to them, and they worried that if they didn't have friends, a lot of people would cancel. So they pay, they coughed up a hundred million dollars for for one year. Wow. This still remains to be seen to some extent, but I do think if you're someone who is a fan of kind of the small, quirky, unusual, risk taking shows that have come out of a place like Netflix, there may be less room for that coming up. You know, because these really? are. You know, you look at the stuff that's come out, and it's primarily these big swing shows, right? The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, which is a live-action original series. You have The Morning Show on Apple TV, which is this big, expensive show with Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell, three very big, famous, you know, movie stars. It's not this, you know, things like um, Russian Doll or Master of None, these kind of small shows that, that are were ver- so beautiful. Yeah, and very, very much driven by a kind of a singular creative vision. Um, we might see less of it because it's a real, you know, I think it's a, we're, it's kind of like an arms race now. And I think I, I, I was thinking about it the other day and I kind of think about it like the 70s and in, in the movies, you know, which everybody, you know, romanticizes as this amazing kind of creative time in the history of American movies when you had all these kind of wild, um, adventurous young filmmakers making things. And then along came Jaws and it kind of ended that. They want the big stuff. They want a big, big hit, um, which is really hard to do. But it is interesting that, you know, one of their most important titles is a 25-year-old broadcast sitcom um, that... That they would never make today. Right, exactly. Yes. Last question for you. If my grand theory with this whole episode is that the 90s sitcom Friends is actually one of the biggest pop culture stories of 2019. What does it say about us right now that one of the biggest pop culture stories of 2019 is a 25-year-old sitcom? (laughs) I think it says that, well, we love nostalgia, even for things that we didn't experience in the first place, maybe especially for things we didn't experience in the first place. And I think there is just something enduring about this particular show with all of its problems that, you know, it's really hard to replicate, especially in this kind of media landscape. To make something that's as, as broad and almost generic. I mean, the title of the show is Friends, right? Like, <laughs> you know, um, but it works. So, Friends, this 25-year-old show, it tells us a lot about streaming right now. It tells us what folks really want to watch, the big classic hits. And Friends tells us a bit where the industry is going. There's going to be a lot more streaming platforms and maybe some bidding wars over those biggest old shows. But what does Friends being so big right now say about the culture? Capital C. By many measures, Friends does not hold up too well. And by today's definition, it is by no means woke. After the break, we will talk with a culture writer who argues that this show, Friends, is actually bad. And us loving it so much, well, we got to work through that. More after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Doctors Without Borders. Doctors Without Borders teams confront hard facts in conflict and crisis zones. When others look away, they step in to act. 
In emergencies and their aftermath, they provide essential health care, run hospitals and clinics, perform surgery, battle epidemics, carry out vaccination campaigns, and more. Information on their efforts and campaigns in over 70 countries can be found at doctorswithoutborders.org. Hey there, I'm Julie Sastry here. I produce It's Been a Minute. Thanks for listening to our show. If you love what you're hearing, just another reminder to support this work. Just visit donate.npr.org SAM or text the word SAM to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org slash SMS terms for privacy and text message terms. Super easy. Okay, back to the show. We are back. We were on a break. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We are calling this episode the one where we talk about friends. This 90s sitcom is now 25 years old, but it seems to be bigger than ever today. Feels like everyone, myself included, is watching this show, talking about this show, reliving this show. We heard from a ton of listeners in putting this episode together. They shared their friend stories, why they watch it, how they watch it. Let's hear from some of them right now. I actually had Rachel's haircut. I even had to cut it myself because my stylist back then couldn't get it right. Like at first they didn't even know how to do it and then it became the rage and it just didn't work. So I always, you know, went home and took the scissors to my hair to make it look more like Rachel. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Joey and Phoebe just seemed to get more and more stupid. Ross seemed to get more and more whiny. Monica became more and more neurotic. In the mid-1990s, my roommate Sarah and I lived in DuPont Circle in D.C., one block up from George Stephanopoulos, who was working at the White House. We would occasionally get his misdirected deliveries. Did you say G. Stephanopoulos? We used to have the same group over every Thursday to get takeout and watch Friends and all the other must-see TV shows. On the same night that Phoebe and the girls got George Stephanopoulos' pizza on the show, we got his Chinese food delivery. What, are you nuts? We got George Stephanopoulos' pizza! I feel like I've wasted so much of my life watching a vapid sitcom with no purpose and cyclical storylines. Like, really? Ross and Rachel? Again? I discovered Friends in college and bought every season on DVD. They were $20 a piece, 10 seasons, $200 for my poor college self, and watched it over and over and over again. Every week, the TV guide comes to Chandler and Joey's apartment. What name appears on the address label? Oh, Chandler gets it! It's Chandler Bing! No! I'm afraid the TV guide comes to Chenandler Bong. How could you go and sleep with someone else just because you thought that she was doing something with Mark when you just could have had a conversation with her and trusted her? It just showed how immature Ross was when it came to Rachel. I kind of figured that all the characters were supposed to be regressive and unevolved, and that was what was funny about it, almost like The Simpsons. Stupid friend of Ross's set off fat. You know, I've already lost four pounds. You can so totally tell. I know! 
Friends on Netflix is actually a communication and bonding tool that I use with my 11 and 14 year old sons. We laugh at the jokes together, we discuss the inappropriate ones, and use that as a lesson. There are a lot of issues with the show, but it still has a lot of really great messages about friendship, being a young adult, and kind of navigating that young adult life. Thanks to those listeners who shared their stories with us. Angel, Sam, Jody, Hira, KC, Nakia, Ashmere, Anli, and Hannah. As you just heard, not everyone thinks this show is good. Like someone else I talked to for this episode. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How that are is Sachi Cole. She's a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News. A few months ago, Sachi wrote a piece for BuzzFeed called Actually, Friends is Terrible. She says, for one, the show isn't actually that funny. And then she argues it's really offensive, too. There's a line in her piece that reads, list any of your favorite episodes and there's something grotesque buried in the plot. She goes on to list examples, times when the show has been anti-trans, anti-fat, full of gay panic, and of course, overwhelmingly white. But even knowing that, Sachi says, as a young brown kid growing up, the show felt like something she had to watch. I was watching it by like six with my family. It was, it was like, very adult. It was very adult, but I don't think my parents seemed to notice. And so it was like <laughs> totally fine. I mean, I don't know. I was raised by Indian immigrants. So whenever I was allowed to engage with American culture in a way that felt like I had unfettered access to it, I was like, great, I'm mm. going to take this opportunity and watch all of it. Yeah. Um, it came on right before my bedtime. So mm-hmm. I could, I, we would watch Seinfeld and and then we would watch Friends, and then I would go to sleep when Frasier was on. Um, well, you missed the best show. I missed the best show, which I, <laughs> I ended up watching all of Frasier a few years ago, and I'm like, this is a way better show. But it was ingrained in my childhood, and all my friends watched it, and I remember being grounded when the finale came out, and mm. I was devastated because my dad wouldn't let me watch TV for like a month, and I was so upset. And my mother was like, don't say anything. You can go downstairs to the basement and watch it on the small TV because she knew it was so important to me that I oh watched this goodness. garbage show. So then you, as a youth, obsessively watched Friends. Oh, yeah. Did you think in your youth that you would go on to write one of the most popular BuzzFeed stories of the year with the title, <laughs> Friends Hasn't Aged Well? I mean... <laughs> I was a negative child, so I think it was perfectly reasonable to think that I'd grow up to be like a terrible adult. So I get, yeah, like a buzzkill. Sure. I for sure thought that was going to happen for me. I don't know. I mean, it was a funny thing because I remember watching it and my brother, who's 12 years older than me, used to Mm -hmm. pull his hair out at how bad he thought this show was. And he used to lecture me and be like, this is unfettered garbage. It's not even funny. I don't. And I'm like. 10 and my 22 year old brother is like berating me and I'm like can I just enjoy my life <laughs> can you yeah. let me live <laughs> yeah and so it was funny to me when I was you know 20 I don't know 26 when I tried to watch it again mm-hmm. and I felt like I almost needed to write him a letter and be like I'm so sorry you were right this is terrible yeah. and I had really? no idea yeah. what are the most terrible things about the show for you I mean they're in the essay but I want to hear you say it <laughs> I mean the gr- the greatest failure, I think, of the show is that it's not funny. Like, I think there's, you know, there's like a lot of discussion about like, oh, it's not very woke and there's lots of offensive plot lines. I just find it dreadfully, dreadfully unfunny and, and mean spirited, too. Like, it's just oddly mean show. Least favorite episode of Friends. Oh, um, all of them. 
<laughs> I mean, well, the ones with Chandler's father are un. Bearable. Explain that backstory. The whole, I, the show obfuscates it too, so it's sort of confusing. But the storyline is that Chandler's father is a drag queen, but is played by a cis woman. But but it's kind of clear in the way that the character is built that she might be a trans woman and has maybe transitioned. Like, again, the show is not very yeah, sophisticated they, about exactly. this. Yeah. And so it's all he, she jokes and, like, you know, weird jokes about her body and, oh, like, Chandler's mom, Chandler's dad is a mom. Like, it's just really cringy and gross. Yeah. All of that stuff just sets my teeth on edge. And then also the stuff about Monica being fat, I find. It was like, really. It's uh, just so boring. They put her in a fat suit yeah, and make fun of know, her just for being fat. Yeah, and, they, and like, well, the, the joke is, like, oh, we don't have enough room in the fridge for these pies. Monica will eat them. It, it's just yeah. so, like... Uh, yeah. So if Sachi's argument is that this show is offensive and mean and not actually that funny, I had to ask her, why was Friends so successful back then and why is it still so successful today? I think it hit at the exact right time. You put together six really beautiful, sinewy white people and you sort they of... They weren't all beautiful, ma'am. Have you seen Ross? Yeah, well, listen, you got, like, I don't know. I didn't think he was that bad. I wouldn't, like, yell at him for talking to me at a bar. At least I'd hear the first, you know, I'd hear the first sentence, and as soon as the next (laughs) sentence is, I have a monkey, I'd be like, all right, have a great day. But, like, you know, they're all all conventionally attractive, thin white people, and you put them in these fun scenarios, and then you have this dialogue about, like, can men and women be friends, which we've been arguing about for a million years, and the answer is yes, as long as everybody Mm -hmm. can be a decent human being but it hit at the right time then and it's hitting at the right time now when we have like peak 90s nostalgia everyone's wearing like a cute sweater and high-waisted jeans it's perfect but I think also there's something really comforting about watching a show that is almost ritualistic it's really repetitive it's very set up punchline there is that there are very few things that happen in that show that have consequences well that is a thing yeah like if you watch something that happens season two, three, the likelihood of it coming up later is pretty slim, with the exception of like a couple relationships and job stuff. Like there's no real consequences in that universe. And I think that can be really enjoyable. I find it quite interesting knowing what we know about this show now and how it's held up or not held up. Why is Gen Z so into it? They're woke. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little reductive to argue that, like, 17-year-olds everywhere will not watch something merely because it's not woke. I mean, (laughs) a significant portion of their lives will be spent fighting against people who are not woke, (laughs) as was true with millennials and as we continue to have those arguments. Yeah. But I think it's soothing. I think Gen Z lives in precarity like everybody else, and there's probably something really comforting about watching this dumb show from before they were born. (laughs) It must seem like such an oddity. Like seeing a landline must be real cute or like the idea that you would get stuck in an ATM booth with a model and there's not there's not a cell phone in sight to get out. (laughs) Like that is crazy to them, I imagine. Yeah, I am less confused by Gen Z watching this show. That kind of makes sense to me than I am by like. The 40-year-old women who emailed me after my piece went up and was like, how dare you? This is the best show that was ever made. I'll eat your family. Like, that was way (laughs) more bizarre. I have not received so much hate mail as I did for writing about how I didn't like Friends. As if I had written a piece that was like, 
your friends specifically are bad people. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, Friends was a show that was aspirational. Everybody was attractive, and it was Mm -hmm. established in the show. Half of them were rich. Oh, yeah. The other half just had really interesting careers. They were living in New York in these massive apartments. Like, they were interesting people. It was an aspirational show. You felt like you could identify, you wanted to identify with one of them. I think I wrote in the piece, like, I wanted to be Rachel, but in public, I would say I was a Phoebe. In reality, I was like the couch that falls off of the staircase. Like, I'm not even in the show. A lot of sitcoms of that era like that, Sex and the City, how many oh, times have- Right. How yeah. many times have women been like, I wonder which one I am? And it's like, you're yeah. you're no one. You're the subway car. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. but it's fun. It's fun <laughs> it's to fun. play that game. I don't begrudge that at all. To people who, in this year of Friends nostalgia, are going to begin to watch it for the first time, what advice would you give them as they enter into this show? And don't um, say just not, don't watch. Well, no, I think I, you know, I don't think you shouldn't watch it. I don't think you should like lobby for it to be removed from cultural canon. Um, I think you should just let it wash over you like a <laughs> dull sound. And I think that's what people are doing. It's a lukewarm shower. Yeah, like sitcom. yeah, like sitting in like you know when you sit in a bath and the water's getting too cold and you're still too, better than getting out. You're too lazy to get out, but mm-hmm. you're like, I don't want to get more water. It's just a waste. So you just sit there. Yeah, that's, that's the experience of watching Friends. I'm gonna share with you my grand theory of why everyone can't let go of Friends. It is really nice in 2019 to see six friends get together in a coffee shop, hang out, and talk to each other for hours at a time with no smartphones. In person. You just don't see that anymore. All right, friends, that's it. Our friends episode is done. As we close, I'm going to take us back to that friends pop-up that I went to with LA Times TV editor Matt Brennan to share with you all probably the worst smelly cat rendition of all time. Spoken word edition. You're obviously not their favorite pet. Thanks to these friends, L.A. Times editor Matt Brennan, L.A. Times TV reporter Meredith Blake, and BuzzFeed News senior culture writer Sachi Cole. This episode was produced by Anjali Sastry and edited by Kitty Isley. They both deserve all the applause for riding with me on this fantastic friends voyage over the last, gosh, several months. Also, thanks so much to NPR West interns Isaura Aceves and Megan Minata for production help. Okay, listeners, I appreciate you. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.